0: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
1: Computer, this is data. I'm an Android. I, I was processing all of the information, processing it's one of those idiots who believe in analytics, analytics was crap, does not compute, just cause you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team.
0: <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Lakers exceptionalism podcast. My name is Tom Z. joined as always by my man, Tim, aka Kranjus McBasketball. And Tim, the Lakers are now on a three-game losing streak and four out of their last five as Dennis Schroeder has been out for the COVID you know health and safety protocols. And honestly, our offense has been offensive, for lack of a better word. Uh, it's probably the perfect word to describe it because it's been ugly. The Brooklyn game, Lakers came out of it with a 98.8. Offensive rating per cleaning the glass Miami game 98.9 Washington game 108.8. And to me, that's like, might as well be 80 against the defense like Washington. Mm-hmm. So man, what do you, what do you see? Like, why, why has it been bad? My guy, why, how can it get better? Help, help us out, Tim, help us understand. It's-
2: So I – and I just had – I had yesterday off. I took last Friday off. I've had so much time to, you know, recoup and refresh and go on, like, vacation. That got canceled because of the snow in Texas. But, like, you know, refresh yourself. And I've been spending a lot of it watching Lakers basketball, which has mentally just destroyed me. Um, And so I've gotten a really good chance to dig into this. And you want to stay grounded. You want to say, like – 80s out, Schroeder's out, like nothing matters, or we were tired, or you know the shots just didn't fall, like all of those things, just to like make it go away. You say that you know, stick to the party line, <laughs> you move on to the next games. We have plenty of time to figure it out. In um, all those things, like to different extents, are true, but there are some very real underlying core issues that even when Schroeder comes back. Are still happening. They were happening before. They're going to continue happening. And I look at it at at it this way: like the Lakers have whatever talent level. Right now their talent level is like minus, I don't know, three because AD's out, and then another minus one with shooter out. But then our scheme on top of that minus four is another like minus two. So even with shooter back, you're still like we've still dug ourselves a hole because of some of the X's and O's things that the team's doing on offense. And It's you'd think, honestly, with AD out and with Schroeder out, this team would be in a better position than last year to still perform well with like Harrell. And we've seen him perform pretty well in, in having those other forms of offense. But from an X's and O's standpoint, in terms of like running sets, running good sets, executing them, hasn't been there. And then the one thing that's been a constant all year long is not countering extra help in the post. And I don't know if you, we want to go into it right now or it. give it a little bit, but all right. Do so it. I'll provide some background. So this is something we've talked about. If you're listening to the podcast, like you've heard us talk about this like a hundred times and I hope it's not annoying. I hope it's not like there's other things to talk about, but this is a big one. And I want to walk you through what's going on, why it's important and and where things could go. So We in the Discord, the Lakers exceptionalism Discord, you chat about a bunch of things, free agents and league stuff and draft and all that. It's been very active this past week or so. And we have been digging into, hey, what exactly are the Lakers doing on their post-ups? And logging every single post-up, literally hundreds of film, just me and others going through film. And logging every single play, all right, 80 post up with 16 seconds left in the shot clock with eight minutes left in the third quarter. This is the type of help defense that came if help, de- help defense came. And then here's how the Lakers countered it or didn't. And and I have like a bunch of logic logic built in that says like, hey, this counter makes sense given the type of help. Or maybe it doesn't make sense or maybe we didn't counter at all. And then we also looked at the results. And because it's such a big sample, the like efficiency data actually lines up pretty well with with what I would expect. And so what we've seen is that the first thing is that help defense is coming on 55% of our Laker post-ups. When they don't, you're like, oh, well, why are they sending extra help? When they don't, the Lakers are scoring 1.12 points per possession, which would be the first ranked post-offense in the league. So we're kicking butt unless you bring extra help. So- is that with pass-outs? That is with pass outs. This okay. is including pass outs. I thought that was an important piece of this. Yes. Um, because yeah. that's, I mean, right. yeah, yeah th- you don't want to ignore It's part of that. beating the double team. Exactly. And from this, we were also able to capture like, uh, like resets overall. Like maybe they double AD and he kicks it out and somebody's wide open. They hit a three. Great. We counted that. Or maybe he has to kick it out and the Lakers completely reset their offense. We coded that in a different way that best reflected h- how valuable that post up was. Mm-hmm. It wasn't quite like a turnover, it wasn't a made shot, it was somewhere in the in the middle. Yeah. So 55% of the time we're seeing extra help. When they don't bring extra help, we kick butt top-rated post offense. When teams do bring help, it earlier in the season had been a lot of stuff from the high side. And when I say that, I mean 80s post up at the left block, somebody dribbles down the left wing, they give them a post entry. And then that guard, his man, is the one that's he's digging off of him. He's taking a couple steps down, swiping at the ball. Sometimes they double team. Sometimes it's just a dig. But that is where the help is coming from. That has shifted over time, and you can see that when we track it game by game, you could see the percentage shift towards more baseline help recently, and more help from both sides. Uh, so that's a good thing to keep in mind. By now, over the past month of basketball, it's about 50% baseline, 42% high side, and 8% where both are happening. So just more context. Now, when teams do help, the Lakers are only countering that help 49% of the time. Half the time, they bring their double team, and we say, we're going to shoot right over it. Like nothing's, Nobody's moving, nobody's cutting, nobody's screening. It's AD, go beat two defenders. LeBron, go beat two defenders. Montrez, Harrell, go beat two defenders. And that's not ideal. When teams are, double, are sending help from the high side, our rate of countering is 53%. When they send help from the baseline, we recognize that a little bit worse, and the countering is only 44% of the time. When both things are happening, we counter 60% of the time. When we're not countering, so so we were at that first-ranked uh, post-offense when there's no help. When there is help and we don't counter it, the Lakers are scoring .78 points per possession, which is dead last that is horrible offense that is not going to win you any basketball games. So that is if we don't help or if, if we don't counter, which is half the time, that's what we're getting. So we're getting like a solid like four or five of those possessions every game that just aren't it's, it's bad offense. Now, when the Lakers do counter, we're using a counter that attacks the general weakness in the defense based on where the help is coming from about 60 percent of the time. So half the time we don't counter at all, but when we do, we have about a sixty percent accuracy at saying like, okay, well if you're going to counter from that high side and dig down, we're going to cut because that guy's open. Or if you are coming in bringing a guy from the baseline and we have a three v two weak side, we're going to set one of our pin and flare screens. Those are examples of times where our counter makes sense given what the defense is doing. Now something that doesn't make sense is if the the help is coming baseline and there's a dude standing at the rim cutting right at him isn't going to get you anything. Mm-hmm. That is something we've seen happen frequently. And when the when teams are bringing help from the high side and the baseline, the Lakers counters often to cut, which isn't, isn't the right solution for that situation. But if you don't read that there's baseline help coming, you might think it is. So that's been something we've struggled with. So about 60% accuracy overall versus high help, the accuracy is 70% versus baseline help. It's about 57% and then it's down to 20% when we get high and baseline help. So you can, from the numbers so far, we recognize high help better, we counter high help more frequently and more accurately, baseline help we struggle with, and then when both are happening, we do stuff, but it's not generally the right stuff. And uh, so, all right, let me look at my notes. So overall, between those two things, between recognizing and doing something about the help and doing the right thing about the help, We are only accurately countering about 30% of the time. So seven out of every 10 times the defense is bringing help against us, we don't exploit it. Either we we attack it the wrong way or we don't try to counter at all. That's about 38% for high help, only 25% for baseline help, and only 10% when both are coming. So nine out of 10 times there's a baseline guy sagging over and a dig. We are not doing anything to really beat that the right way. So – very bad process numbers. This, this is behaviors. These are processes. Those stabilize fairly quickly. And we've actually seen the defense recognize this in more teams who, like, in their normal scouting reports, aren't bringing baseline help against other teams. They're doing it against the Lakers because that is not something we're doing well at countering. Now, if we want to figure out how much this matters, we can look at some of the efficiency numbers. And keep in mind, it's only <laughs> like 250, 300 possessions, which isn't tiny, um, but it's not the full season. When we're left alone again, first place, 1.12 points per possession. When they bring help and we don't counter, dead last, 0.78 points per possession. When they bring help and we do counter the right way, we're even more efficient than when they don't bring help at all, which makes sense. If they give you a 3v2 and you can get a wide open corner three from a pin and flare screen or they're giving you an open cut to the rim, that should be efficient. And we're scoring 1.18 points per possession on those, which again would be first. When uh, the defense is bringing extra help and we're not countering correctly, we're scoring 0.79 points per possession. So again, about just as bad as not trying to counter at all against help, Mm. and it would be dead last post-offense. So it's the, the numbers are there from a process and a result side telling us that something is wrong. It's happening a lot. It's happening more often now than it did earlier in the season, more than it did last season. Some of the counters we went to last year aren't available this year, given our personnel. And this isn't something that when Schroeder comes back, suddenly gets better. Or when AD comes back, like he's good. And like, both of these are good. They're, they're, both of these guys are good. They're going to help the offense. But even when they've been playing, the Lakers don't suddenly start countering better. So this is a something the coaching staff is going to have to recognize and take some movement on. Overall, Despite all that, our post-offense on the year is uh, about 1.0 points per possession. In our sample, on the full season, it's 0.996, so pretty close. And our post-efficiency on the year as a whole is 14th in the league. So pretty average, despite having LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Montrez Harrell. So that's not good. And then if we try to convert that to like a, you know, what? where could we go from here? If we shift some of those behaviors, if instead of countering half the time, we counter 85% of the time. And instead of having the right accurate counter 60% of the time, we do it 75% of the time. And let's say because of that, the defense helps just a little bit less than that normal 55% because they know we're going to beat them. We can see our offensive rating jump by a full two points, 1.8 to to two points. And I I was just pulling up like the raw offensive rating, not the cleaning the glass stuff. That would move us up from like 15th to 9th just from one adjustment and then you add Schroeder, then you add AD into that mix and it gets even better. So that is, it's very clearly highly impactful. If, if you can give us an extra, like two, three points a game, from doing something. And then there's clear upside with it as well. Um, And and like if the Lakers realize, hey, we're kicking butt, they can't stop us because we're doing the right things. Instead of posting up 15 times a game, you can post up 20, 20 times, 22 times, 25 times. So it can snowball in the right direction right now because we're not countering the right ways. It's snowballed in the wrong direction. And if we look at some individual players for LeBron, he's scoring 1.37 points per possession without any help, which is bonkers. That's crazy. Those are crazy numbers. When uh, the Lakers counter correctly, it's about that same amount. But when LeBron's posting up and we don't counter the extra help, he's scoring 0.65 points per possession. That's really bad. That's like shooting 30% on your post-ups. For AD, there's about a uh, 0.3, 0.4 point uh, swing between no help and help that isn't countered. And then when we counter correctly with AD, he's scoring a whole 1.6 points per possession in the post between his scoring and his pass outs. So a lot of numbers... I apologize for throwing that at everybody, but just know that it's very clear that when the Lakers do the right thing from a process standpoint with their post offense, it is absolutely dominant and it's really hard to stop. And if the answer isn't send extra help, there just isn't an answer right now. There's a very clear blueprint, a clear playbook. And team after team, we see more teams recognize this and run the right things defensively in a way that tells me that, like, like you've been solved. Like, there's there's a playbook out there for how to beat this Laker offense. And until they fix that, it's not going to look great. And once they do fix it, it's going to look much better. And it might take some time. It's a process. And as we continue to track this, we're likely going to see those percentages rise, hopefully over time. And then you have AD, you have Schroeder, it looks much better. But that has been a big burning thing in my mind that I've tried to articulate on the pod. But until you really dig down and look at the possession by possession stuff and see how pervasive it is, like all the time this is happening, and see that we're only countering things correctly like 30% of the time, that that just that blew my mind and I wanted to share with everyone.
0: That's really, that's really great data, man. Um, Yeah, still trying to kind of unpack. I have a lot of questions. I want to kind of throw at you here quickly. But uh, before I do, like some of the setups that you outlined, right? Like AD getting doubled from that top side. What you'll notice is a lot of times they'll have LeBron at the top, and when that happens, he dives right to the basket, right? So how many LeBron like diving dunks have we seen this year that mm-hmm. you know is part of why they chose to pull it from the other side because yeah. Lakers have a fucking freight train. <laughs>
2: <laughs> know. Do you remember we uh, – what, two paws in a row, we were like LeBron yammed on somebody. There was the one play on like Drew Holiday. There was a, I, I think against Philly or something. Like there were a couple back-to-back games where L.A. was beating that high side help really well. And then right after that, we saw the shift. So that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a really good call out.
0: Yeah, but – and so – I'm also curious that this is taking all of the post-up uh, data for the entire team, and I wonder if you chop that data up even finer, Tim, right, through with lineups and with specific players, right, because Montrezl Harrell's not getting doubled a whole lot, right, but his numbers are affecting the post percentage. Mm-hmm. Are they not? So, so, so I'm just trying me, to, you know what I mean? Find yeah, the yeah, culprit, like yeah. right? find the 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 swaying in the
2: numbers. Good question. So Trez is interesting because so when he's not facing help, he scored one point one one points per possession. When he saw extra help, he scored 0.44 when the yeah. Lakers didn't counter. But when the Lakers did counter, we were scoring a point per possession. Uh, let me see the overall. Let me try to find the volume for Trez. Give me a second here. But that's a really good question because and that's another thing. The. The. Percentage breakdown of like who's making up all of this is a little bit different now over the past month than hopefully it will be moving forward with Anthony Davis back. Um, If we just filter about Trez. All right. So over the past month, we have seen, oh my goodness, so many, so many Matras Herald post ups. Uh, 50. So there were 55 in this sample for him. And that is 55 out of. Two, two 231. Okay. So a little bit more than, like more than 20%, less than 25% have been Trez. There's a little bit of Keith in here. There's like a couple Wes Matthews, a couple Kyle Kuzma, but this is primarily LeBron and Anthony Davis. And mm-hmm. we see at that granular level that the same trends hold true that when extra help comes, they perform worse. But when we counter it the right way, they perform really well. When we don't counter it the right way, they don't perform well. I, I did notice one thing I did notice was that Anthony Davis has a little bit of resiliency to that extra help. I think it's due to his size and how he's able to get some of his shots off his efficiency when helped and when the Lakers still don't counter was still like it was not awful. Let me find it. It was point nine one, which like isn't good, but compared to LeBron's, which is point six five and Trez's, which is point four four. That was pretty impressive.
0: I think also part of this is a symptom of the fact that uh, the Lakers have shot the ball terribly the last month. And excuse me, you know, those skip threes, those swing threes are a lot of what come out of countering some of this well. So even when you counter it and if 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 you're not countering it well, you can still maybe swing the ball into a semi open shot. And where the Lakers were starting the season, like, you know, 39, 40, 41% as a team, they're down to 35.4, which, you know, 35.3 was like exactly where they were last year. So I'm not saying their shooting is, is awful. Now they've been shooting worse lately than 35.4, right? Because you have to shoot worse than, than that to bring it down to that number from 40 something. So I think it's not something to, to sound the alarm. They just, Tim, like exactly what you said they have one guy to dribble the ball so like this is kind of what you have to go through if you're not going to run a lot of these like set, like detailed sets that you love so much right like they're 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 going to like put the ball in bronze hands in the post like people will do some stuff and depending on what the lineup is around him they'll be better than others like for for example they're starting west matthews and i just don't think that's the best kind of offensive option when you need scoring Uh it, because it's basically been LeBron, Kuzma and Trez, right, have been the scores. KCP finally made some shots against Washington, but it's been really rough offensively, just, just straight up shot making, right? Not even like getting to the, the open shot part.
2: Yeah, the Lakers are down on shot. Creators or advantage creators, they only have a couple guys that can like extend an advantage, which is something that that your brother Pete, like a film room, has brought up recently. Is the who who are the advantage creators, extenders, and finishers? And you just brought up a great point. With the finishers, we only have a couple guys that are doing that. And we have even fewer creators. So when you're not using set plays, you're not get, like it's just gonna be a real struggle. And post-ups have been a way the Lakers have tried to turn to allow a couple guys who are strong post players to do their thing with Trez and LeBron James and even Keefe a bit recently. Like they can score well in the post as long as they're not playing one versus two. And we've seen, I mean, Trez, I've I've railed on his post passing and it's not where I'd love it to be. But when the Lakers have countered, he's made a lot of the right reads. Um, it's just, we're not countering all that well. And when he has to go one on two, it's, it's not good offense. So I think this can still be A big piece of what the Lakers do and what I wouldn't want to happen is the Lakers look at this, say, hey, we haven't been efficient. We're just going to stop doing this instead Mm -hmm. of trying to solve some of those underlying issues. I think getting away from this altogether and having to do more sets which they haven't been using, or rely on more perimeter scoring or ball handling, which they don't really have. It just, it doesn't seem like a great situation right now or with AD back. Cause then you go from like one ball handler to two ball handlers with Schroeder back in the lineup. So it's it's going to be a year-long thing. It's gonna happen in the playoffs. And this is a big piece of the offense that when it's working well, the Lakers' offense looks great. And mm-hmm. it's just about making some tweaks here or there. Like this is it's it's not super difficult. It's not like I've tried to learn football X's and O's and I'm like I don't know how these guys remember all these things. All the play calling is so specific and complex and the, all these different route patterns and quarterbacks Twice making as many all these reads too. There's so much going on offensively and defensively. Mm-hmm. For basketball it's like when your man goes to double team <laughs> Cut to the rim like come on like you can three out of four times you should be able to do, like make that read um, or on the weak side you know once that baseline help comes set a pin and flare screen like these are just principled simple things that some teams do better, better than others the Lakers clearly know how to do them because they have done them. This isn't me pitching some brand new playbook that nobody's ever seen before. And saying like, oh, this is the holy grail of what you should be running on offense. Like the Lakers are doing the right things. It's just a matter of recognizing and executing more consistently. And it can make a huge difference because the end game of this, if you do it well, is that the defense can't bring that extra help. And then you do get to see LeBron and AD and Trez go 1v1 and just kick ass. And that is where I want to get. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Uh, I think, Tim, we haven't really spoken any specifically about these games. I think there are different reasons we lost each of these three games, to be honest with you. Brooklyn's wings completely on fire. I don't think Joe Harris and Luaua Cabarro will be fucking. I think there were 11 for 15 from three. uh, Right. But the Lakers... Like, what did I say? Turn the ball over, right? 19 and a, And I think it was in the second quarter you texted me like there's no way we're beating Miami in, of, in the Brooklyn game yep. uh, playing like this. And Brooklyn doesn't turn you over that much, but the Lakers, 19 and percent turnover percentage in that Brooklyn game. That mm. is going to kill you. And that helps just turn the tide and, and bring points against you rapidly on the other end. And um, so so a couple different things. I thought the Lakers had glimpses of good defense against Brooklyn, but not any, like, long stretches by any means. So, you know, their offense overall has slipped to, I think, 15th. Uh, you know, where we were in the top five for the most part. So it has been a significant drop off. And I think the post ups, like you talked about are a big part of it, but let's talk a little bit about the lineup decisions too. I think I mentioned, I would maybe like to see Caruso starting, but last night in that loss against Washington, man, it really felt like, like trez should have gotten a little bit extra run and vogel said he liked gasol's you know size against lopez and lopez got a couple blocks and body moments on trez but trez was one of the few players on our team who can score and you know having to go to overtime like that just having uh, just a little burst of energy he's our energy guy Uh, there have been some of these moments that have left me wanting with vogel the last couple weeks
2: yeah. And I still think like he's an excellent coach. This coaching staff has done For a very sure. good job. And and this isn't I don't want anyone to hear this and think like we're just, you know, trashing on on Vogel and this staff. They've yeah. been pretty consistently, like, really good with the defensive adjustments. And we saw that in Miami, there was some chess playing happening. Mm-hmm. Um and then on the offensive end, it's we've made a lot of the right adjustments eventually in the playoffs. It just took a little bit more time and in a regular season setting with the stakes a little bit lower and with the potential excuses of guys being out or us you know, being tired or shots didn't go in, it's easy to not have to like self-analyze, self-scout and be like, actually, you know what? Something is wrong. We need to fix X, Y, and Z. So it's taking a little bit longer, but there's plenty of the season ahead. If if the Lakers do get it all together, it's not going to just be from being healthy. It's going to be from making some of these changes. And they have plenty of time to do so. I'm not saying they can't. But yeah, some of what the Lakers were doing over those past couple games, just it didn't seem like if you just wrote down what they were trying to do on a possession and then looked at it and be like, that's not... Why would, why would you want that? Like, I, I play a game sometimes, and I'll do this tonight or tomorrow, where I'll say, hey, folks, tell me a lineup and tell me, like, a concept, and I'll draw up a play. Just, like, on the fly, I'll, like, draw, like, 50 plays on my whiteboard, be taking screen sh- like pictures and putting them on Twitter. And when I'm going through that, I'm trying to think about how can we take the skill sets we have and put them in positions that they're they're good at? How do we f- slot the right pieces in the puzzle to make the prettiest, prettiest picture? A lot of what we've seen offensive, offensively from the Lakers doesn't really align with that. It's, it's just been like, why is Caruso, why would Caruso be doing these things? Or why is Wes Matthews isolating or posting up? <laughs> or just like just some bizarre things. And I can understand the tendency on the coaching staff's uh, behalf to lean towards defense. But you got to look at this team and say, hey, defensively, we're doing a pretty damn good job. Mm-hmm. Offensively is really where the, the impact can be felt. And when you're down 80 and you're down shooter, you have to be able to play Trez. And even if it hurts you a little bit defensively, the boost he's able to provide on offense, I think, is substantial. Unless you're going to start leaning into Gasol's playmaking, which feel like the, the invitation is still open. we like that is still something that can happen. We've seen more of it. We haven't seen enough of it. But if mm-hmm. you're not leveraging Gasol's offense in that way, I think what Trez brings is is just as good, if not better, um in some of these situations. And it's not every game. It's it's sometimes a matchup thing. But against Lopez, like that's not a guy I'm super worried about Montrezl Harrell having to match up with. Um, so that yeah, that from a lineup standpoint, that stood out. THT in a season where we've seen Caruso in the protocol, we've seen Schroeder in the protocol, we've seen KCP miss time, we've seen LeBron sick games. Almost every guard on this team has missed substantial time and he hasn't been able to break through. And it's been because of some of the reasons we've talked about and just defensively, he's not making the progress that he needs to be making. And with a coaching staff that really focuses on defense, that's not going to get you time on the court. And it's not a nitpicky like like there were times when when in a previous coaching staff, we'd see specific players called out for things in an inconsistent ways. And it was like, well, why are you benching this guy? That doesn't make sense she's making the mistake. Like it's it's yeah. it's happening a lot. There are real mistakes. You see it a lot more on film than you do live, but there are legitimate concerns there. his, his on ball defense has been fantastic, but off off ball, he's getting earned left and right. Oh my god. Um for every time he
0: just takes the ball away from somebody, he sags off of like a skip past defender on the wing for absolutely no reason.
2: Mm-hmm. Think about how many times you see two Lakers closing out to the same guy. It, next time that you notice that, anybody listening?
0: If it's keep THT keep track of, who, keep track of who's, who's there.
2: <laughs> it's ThT and someone else almost every time. And I'm like, well, ThT's wrong. Like, THT's
1: you don't, you don't have
2: to don't trust me. Don't trust Tom. Watch the film and ThT's going to be involved in like 90 percent of those. So like these things are real. If they weren't real, we'd be seeing him play a lot more. So I don't I don't feel the need to like legitimize what we're saying. It's happening. Um and he's still bringing some of that really good offense with with the driving game. But just like with our post-offense, the book's kind of out on THT and what you need mm-hmm. to defend and what you don't need to defend. And until he's able to knock down threes with more consistency or make smarter, he, he needs to be able to p- pressure a defense on and off ball without having a reliable catch-and-shoot or pull-up jump shot. And that's a challenging thing to do as a guard. So. It's, it's not a great situation for him given the role he needs to play. And that's why we've seen his, his minutes dipped a little bit. You mentioned Wes Matthews. I've liked a good bit of what we've seen from him when he's asked to do the right things. Defensively, I thought he did a really good job against Brooklyn. And we saw you, you mentioned TLC and Harris. They went off. But Kyrie and Harden, like their efficiency overall was was like very, very mediocre. So I was pleased with how we did there against Miami. Again, I was looking at the box score like, hey, like we did a good job defending these guys. How the hell did we lose this game? And it's just the offense and it's the offense. offense. It's always the offense. Even against Washington, a team that we should be putting up, up a bunch of points against. Yeah. It just wasn't happening. Um, And and you can't go to overtime against against that team. And they're surging. They're doing some things well. Davis Bertans, he didn't have a great game against us, but he's hitting like 50% of his threes on like eight a game. So uh, some things are clicking into place with them. But these are three games that like I didn't expect to win all three of them, but you should have beaten Washington. And uh, I was disappointed. And I was disappointed with the offense attacking switches, which is something we – went into the preview of Miami and Brooklyn saying, Hey, this is the week where you can work on Gasol playmaking and attacking switches schematically, not just by isolating. And we didn't see either of those things take a, take a step up. And that's very obvious. And that's how a team like Brooklyn who doesn't have good individual defenders can just switch things, shut down actions. And then suddenly you're playing a bunch of ISO ball. And then like we were talking about earlier with the post-ups, they send some extra help and then it's, it's just bad offense. So it's, when you can't beat those post-ups, that's another thing I forgot to mention. When you can't beat those post-ups, that allows teams to say, we're going to start switching everything and then just pack the pain against your isolations and send baseline help against your post-ups. And, you know, and then until you can beat those, there's no reason to not be switching stuff. So that's the next step of this that I'm kind of waiting for in fear is teams realize that they can just start switching things altogether and not be in bad shape for it. Now, Miami and Brooklyn, they switch things just because that's what they do. And we saw how devastating that can be to the Laker offense. But just in general, that might be the next set of clamps that come down on this Lakers offense unless they start figuring figuring some things out.
0: And uh just really quickly here before we uh jump into break wanted to uh acknowledge Kyle Kuzma for the week he's had really really impressive stuff um just just playing with that extra weight on his shoulders and playing really well so just wanted to give him a moment uh of of praise there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like some of these games could have could have been blowouts if Kuz isn't isn't playing well and he's he's still doing the little things well he may not hit all the shots every game but when he does hit his shots then it's like the full package and it looks fantastic and props to him i think he's played very well
1: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data
2: Well, Trez has played very well. LeBron, we've seen struggle to struggle a bit. And part of that is because the defense only has to worry about certain things and are scheming for certain things. But he hasn't quite been on an MVP stretch. I know his three point percentage has plummeted substantially. Um, but but good call out with Kuz. He's he's been really good this past week.
0: I think like 22 minutes into that Miami game, you could count the number of non-LeBron Kuz baskets on one hand. (laughs) Like they had like 36 of the Lakers, 40, you know, five points or something crazy. So great week from Kuzma. But let's take a quick break and we'll uh, preview a couple games uh, up ahead we have. All right, coming back in, Tim Uh, This is not, uh, as you say A great time to uh, match up against the team Who is hottest in the NBA In the Utah Jazz So... Really quickly, just giving you a breakdown on them. They have a great offense, 119.3 points per hundred possessions per cleaning glass, and number two in defense, 106.8 for a number one in the league differential, 12.5. This team has been on fire. They're 25-6. and Tim, do you believe in this year's Utah Jazz?
2: I do. I think they have the right mix of... Shooting, creating, smart ball handling, shooters and X's and O's. And they've they've figured out just the best way to put a defense in just constant situations left and right through the sets that they run. Because they run a lot of sets and it's like simple setups, but it's we're going to run this ball screen with these players standing here, here and here. If you play this pick and roll defense, if you play that pick and roll defense, we're going to do this instead and it, we talk about, like, accuracy of doing something to attack the defense. Utah, Utah's accuracy is through the roof. They see what you're doing, and they're going to attack it in ways that are built to beat it. And if you switch it up, they're going to switch it up. And it's just so difficult to defend this team. They have the number one ball screen offense in the NBA. They have the number one roll man offense in the NBA, which is just, like, a bunch of lobs to Rudy Gobert. And they have, I think, the number three offense in the NBA on ball screen pass outs, um, like kicking out to their shooters. So it's going to be hard. (laughs) I'm I don't we might get blown out in this game. I'm like I'm anticipating leaving this one either being very impressed with the Lakers or being like, yeah, this was going to happen. Like, I don't have high hopes. This is going to be a really, really tough team to stop. They attack catch hedges in really smart ways, and they're going to put us in a bunch of situations like a a read option football team where we're going to pick one defender, and we're going to make you make a decision. Pick one guy or the other guy, and no matter who you pick, we're going to go the other way, so you're always going to look wrong, and I'm just waiting for folks to be complaining about our off-ball defenders who are just put in just impossible situations because – the same way we run our normal catch-edge scheme, you've got a guy that sinks in to tag the role man, and then you have a helper that that helps his man. They're going to make sure that helper can't come. Through their alignments, through their screening, through the things they do, they're going to make sure that chain in the defensive rotations is broken. So either you're not tagging the role man, or you tag the role man, and you're leaving a, a wide-open corner three-point shooter wide open, and they have some very, very good three-point shooters. Um, so... That's going to happen a lot. I anticipate struggling there. Uh, And I don't know, Tom. Talk me out of this being a blowout because I'm very worried. They're going to run double highball screens. They're going to do all sorts of things, and they're going to get a bunch of Rudy Gobert, either Lobs or Clarkson or Mitchell or Conley finishing at the rim or some kickout threes.
0: I can't. I can't do it right now, Tammy. I mean, I can't. I can't. You know, I know this is Lakers exceptionalism. We're supposed to be all things Lakers, but it's just the part in the season this Lakers team is at. Um, It's going to be very tough to, you know, unless LeBron goes for 40 and his three all of a sudden starts falling again. But uh, yeah, just looking up this, this is higher than expected. But Donovan Mitchell has a 34.7 usage rate, uh, which is 100th percentile. In in, Per cleaning the glass Uh, He's He's gonna be I don't know Are you gonna put Wes Matthews Or KCP on him You know You're gonna start Keep starting Wes One of them's gotta take Conley The other's gotta take Mitchell You have a little bit of size there But maybe not really In your advantage per se
2: Yeah The Lakers guard rotation Is gonna be Under attack In this game Like I feel good with Caruso On either of those guys KCP I I think I would rather have him. Oh, Jesus, this is tough. I don't want either of them defending Donovan Mitchell. But I guess I'd rather have start Wes Caruso. on Conley. I, I see, like, ideally you start Caruso and you go Caruso KCP because that yeah. is a better defensive bas- backcourt against this team. And then <laughs> you're going to put Wes Matthews put on, Jordan West on Jordan Clarkson? Jordan Clarkson, I guess. Well, yeah. I, you're That's just going to have to see big well. minutes from KCP and Caruso. Who are their. Wes on not those guess, three guys.
0: I guess man to man THT on on Clarkson isn't the worst. It's just like off ball like we've said he's mm-hmm. you know but Joe Clarkson you know he has a pretty high usage rate too when he's in the game 27.7 so he yeah. has the ball in his hands a lot. Maybe that and works.
2: He has the ball in his hands a lot. He has been okay at a lot of things. There has been one area this year that he's just been kicking butt and that has been ball screens. And he's but been really, really good. everywhere pull pull ups, finishing at the rim with his floaters. But he is like dead. He's like second to lowest in the whole league at like pick and roll pass out rate. So I would be sending some extra help. I'm stunting off of perimeter guys. I'm having my my weak side tag man get in there a little bit early. I would be playing Clarkson, and just daring him to pass because he's not going to see a lot of those, and that is going to end up a little bit better for. Your defense because he's just been kicking a bunch of butt offensively as a pick and roll ball handler. And I think maybe catch hedging against him might make some sense. Or if you double team him and make Rudy Gobert have to attack 4v3 from like catching at the three point line instead of catching a lob, I'd have some interest in that. I think you can explore switching, maybe not with Clarkson, but in the Mitchell or Conley pick and rolls. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out the best way to defend them because both of them actually struggled a little bit finishing at the rim this season. But the thing is, if you play drop, they're going to keep their dribble alive. And they're so good with with just these little techniques. They keep, keep their dribble alive, put their guy in jail, and then two on one with Rudy Gobert jumping as high as he can and them going up at the rim. Either they're going to lay it up because you take Gobert or they're just going to Lob it right over and Gobert's is going to finish that. So you're in a tough spot if you get to that 2v1 at the rim. So you need to stop this ball screen before it gets there. And I'd be looking to either switch or catch hedge or trap. Um, when you when teams have been catch hedging against them, they've been slipping those. And they'll do a lot from an alignment standpoint to make sure that the help defense won't be there. So that's what you have to wor- worry about. And know going into this game, if we're going to do that, this is how they're going to counter it. Um, I want to look at their how good is their zone offense? <laughs> hey, they haven't faced any zone. Oh no, I'm sorry, that's their playoff last year. Crap. Let's see if how they are against zone because that could be an option as well. <laughs> so I'm here's, struggling, Tom. They're really good. I,
0: I, I am struggling. This is really good, Tim. This this is a curious weak point for them. Now, number two in defense, as I said, give me a guess as to where you think they rank in. Turnovers forced uh percentage of possessions.
2: I would estimate that they're lower because they run a lot of drop and they don't blitz a lot. They don't hard hedge all that much. They don't. They're not catch hedging a bunch. It's it's a lot. Of, it's a softer, less aggressive screen mm-hmm. coverage. So I'd say bottom third.
0: How's thirtieth bottom bottom one? Oh, there 30th. we go. Eleven point nine percent of their defensive possessions end in turnovers, and they. So this is, again, a thing I'll focus on on these teams who don't force turnovers often and the Lakers give up turnovers often, uh, Mm -hmm. especially the last few games. But, you know, they they do turn over the ball at least on offense. So they're, they turn over the ball. They're 22nd on offense in the same category, 14.5%. So if you can turn them over, you know, get their defense out in the transition, get some, some Trez seals, some KCP wild finishes shooter. You know, you're going to miss a guy like shooter in this, in this game in that way, but it's, it's tough man to paint a path for this specific Lakers team. Um, uh, if Kyle Kuzma puts up 25 and LeBron yeah you know and and just everything seems to fall right maybe Rudy gets in foul trouble early or, or you know um Mitchell is is having it uh, on the outside cuz they're going to get their shots they they have their their looks and the Lakers defense isn't quite as is locked in as it is without their defensive player of the year
2: yeah, and if you're thinking about game planning, like, I don't want to be giving up the lobs, I don't want to be giving the kick-out threes. So maybe you just try... Man, this is tough. Like, ideally, you you live with them taking their mid-range jumpers, but they do a lot offensively to avoid that. So it's it's just such a tough, tough matchup, and I don't know what the spread's going to be in this game, but it's probably going to look pretty good for uh for Utah. Utah. Yeah, um, and... Another thing to keep in mind with this game is the Lakers, if they are posting up, should be well aware that Utah likes to bring help from the baseline, which has been our kryptonite, as we talked about earlier. So it doesn't from that standpoint, it doesn't match up all that well. And even if they hadn't been, I would expect them to do some of that because all the other teams on film have been um, except for Washington. Uh, How do you think the
0: Lakers will attack their drop coverage?
2: So I think, so Schroeder has no chance of playing this game, right? He's maybe yeah. Portland. Okay. So yeah. I was going to say some mid-range from Schroeder could, could make some sense. Um, here's what I'd look to do because they drop a lot and they ice a ton of sideball screens. So I would be looking to run my sideball screen with LeBron attacking along the baseline, get some hammer action on the weak side with with somebody setting a flare screen for Wes Matthews or KCP, engage some defenders over there, take away some potential help defense, or if they do sink in, kick that pass out. And then if it's Gasol setting the initial screen that's that's being iced, he can pop and he might be open. And with that hammer action, you might not have a help defender there. Or if you don't build that double gap in, if you don't align yourself so that help defense isn't coming, or it's not Gasol and it's like Trez or somebody setting the screen, After they after LeBron's driving baseline, as soon as he doesn't use that screen because of the ice, have that player sprint up towards like the top of the key instead of flare screen for, again, KCP or West or somebody to be looping around behind the drive, because that is a 2v1 situation ice defense gives up. So that would be my get some weak side action for some shooters, engage defenders, give LeBron a chance to attack downhill with speed and. If he can attack Rudy Gobert one-on-one with sp- in space without any extra help defense, we might be able to draw some fouls on Rudy. Um, I still believe in LeBron attacking downhill. Gobert's a scary dude to attack, but with the right angles, with the right offense, and without that help defense, it looks a little bit more encouraging. And something that the Lakers need to do a better job of is being aware that teams are sending extra help against LeBron when he's driving. He has that great spin move we see time and time again. Miami got two turnovers against it because they brought a dude from the top of the key to swipe down and go after that ball, because he when he's spinning he doesn't see that pass. Um, Washington did that same thing, the, and uh, Brooklyn didn't, but whoever we played before them did. I forget who that was. Um, that helped Minnesota. That in Minnesota, in Minnesota hasn't been game planning well. Um, that help has been coming, and by doing something like what I'm describing, you kind of take away that extra layer of help and let LeBron try to attack one V one. Like LeBron is fantastic. Give him true one V one situations. And I like his odds. That would be one way to attack that, uh, that ice and drop because another way that we might see is LeBron snaking around his, his ball screens on the perimeter and taking more threes, which he has not been hitting. And I don't want to watch a LeBron one for seven pull up three point game against drop coverage that that's not there. We don't have lob threats, so that's not really there it's it's a tough one. You, you said gotta it. Put guys so it's, in jail it's happening and, now. Huh?
0: You said it so it's definitely happening. Now. <sighs> Thanks, it's, Tim.
2: This is going to be a tough game, Tom. I'm I'm mentally prepared already.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is going to be. It's honestly like not a great Week for the, this is kind of bad timing for the Lakers yeah. like obviously Brooklyn uh Miami and now this Utah Portland and Portland's even you know punching a little bit above their weight where a lot of people thought they would be at least with uh with CJ out you know what I mean
2: yep yeah and they're the type of team that doesn't match up well with how the Lakers are playing right now where their defense is bad but they do some smart things defensively that we've had trouble with, so I think their might their defense might be better than like dead last or second to last or whatever it is right now overall in the year. But their offense is very good, and so CJ's still out, right? Um, but him and Dame, this stood out to me on the season. The top two players in the entire league in pull up three point attempts are Dame and CJ. At 8.2 per game what? for Dame, 7.3 for CJ, hitting them at 35% for Dame, 42% for CJ. They're taking 15 and like they've been out here and there, but 15 per game between the two of them, pull-up threes. And this is the so so the next step would be, oh, well, we're gonna catch hedge, or we'll double team. Yeah, this is the team that put on a clinic against us and like sparked the podcast several, what, like a month ago, two months ago by now. Um where we were like, hey, this is how teams are attacking the Lakers catch edge. They attacked it like 14 different ways on one game. So it's it doesn't it doesn't look good either for that one in terms of stopping that pick and roll offense. Um CJ being out really helps. This is maybe you get mellow trying to do mellow stuff and bring some extra help because, you know, he yes, won't pass please. out. Or, yeah, like it's it just like in the playoffs. It's about breaking down the flow of, of offense and making their finishers have to turn into self-creators, whether that be Trent Jr. Jr. or Carmelo Anthony or Nurkic, one of these guys. Yeah, um,
0: fucking Trent Jr. No, I'm just looking back to that first game where you hit like six threes against us, <laughs> that fourth game of the year where we lost to them.
2: Yeah. It's it's going to be another tough one. so Their defense threes. is bad, God and that's really helpful. Um but they, they also switch a good bit, and we saw against Miami and Brooklyn that the Lakers aren't going to be scheming in the right ways to attack switches. And then when we do decide to isolate against their switches, they'll be doing the same sorts of help things that we've seen other teams do. So,
0: 39% a, of their shots in that game were above the break threes.
2: Wow. <laughs> Jeez. This one's more winnable than the other one, but I can see this one also being... Like there's, there is a real, real chance. It's not a high chance, but there's a real chance we leave these games like blown out twice in a row. And we've at that point we would have lost like five, six in a row or something like that. And then, and then the media narratives start kicking in and
0: people lean on those excuses.
2: I mean, I'm already just, you know, to myself, LeBron and AD have a plus 15 net rating when they play together, just on repeat, just over and over, just those self affirmations. (laughs) Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be... We need Schroeder back for that game. We need some point of attack defense. Uh, and I, I think you look at double teaming and seeing if that helps. I think you have to start out in your catch-hedge base and see if they're as ready to attack it as they were last time. But I'm anticipating they will be. Um, but you can't drop because they'll hit those pull-up threes. So you, you have to start looking at weakening screens if you can or... Uh, Start double teaming. I think maybe like, you switch.
0: We gotta got treat Trez now in this game at least like he's our third, like most important player behind Kuzma, and maybe even second. You know, in this specific matchup where you'll have you know Enis Kanter, Robert Covington, and you know whoever else they have trying to fill in those bench minutes in Portland, uh, in the front court. So like Trez should be just. He, he's being featured until he's not until like when it's starting to get to crunch time. This is the stretch where I figured Trez would be a big factor, but the last week or so he hasn't been. So I, you know, maybe not so so much against Utah, but uh, against Portland, Trez should be able to, to eat pretty
2: well. Yeah. I don't see Trez matching up against, go bear all that well. Or He's going to have to eat in some some bench lineups, maybe. Um, I think he can use his quickness a bit. Favors isn't as good a shot blocker. I, I think he has a chance there, but in this mashup, we need to lean on him. Something I noticed from going through the, the logged possessions and the post-offense was like, we'd go Trez, 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 Trez in a stretch, and he'd shoot like three for four, and then you wouldn't see anything from him yeah. for two and a half quarters or something. Yeah. If something's working, go to it. And then when the defense starts bringing extra help, give up because because the Lakers can't counter the help uh, I don't know this all of these games to me and like not Utah we're not, I don't think we're gonna beat Utah but this game to me is one where if the Lakers were playing this game a month from now and they figure out some of these things that have been plaguing them even without AD but with shooter, I think we have a really good shot at winning that game mm-hmm. but with how we're playing right now I don't believe we're gonna see a full turnaround in the areas we would need to um, but I mean, anything can happen. LeBron can go off for 40. Like Kuzma can put in 17 efficient points. Trez can eat against this team's front court. Like the Lakers should have a chance, but you need to score a lot of points in this game. On the defensive end, and the Lakers are very good. Missing some key pieces, it's a tough game planning game. I think offensively, you you really need to be able to lean on some some scoring of points, and that needs to come from LeBron and Kuz and Trez, and you need to find ways to get Wes and KCP involved
0: some THT yeah hopefully you know THT you know growing pains hurt man uh it's Mm. it's it's expected you know for all those who are disappointed that a 20 year old couldn't maintain his you know six man spot on a championship (laughs) team uh it's okay it's it's in due time But really quickly, Tim, before we get out of here, and I'm sure we will talk about this maybe around the all-star break when, you know, it's starting to come a little bit more clear. The Lakers now have two open roster spots after they released Quinn Cook. Uh, His contract was guaranteed uh, Wednesday, the 24th, for the rest of the season. And, you know, because the Lakers are hard capped, cutting him and moving on, giving him a chance to sign with a team and be eligible for the playoffs while also maybe bringing in, uh, you know, some, another big or another wing stop or whatever else is out there, you know, boogie got released. There's been some, some murmurings about Hassan Whiteside. And, you know, we did a little bit about Blake and, and a couple other people, a couple pods ago, but I don't know. What do you think now that the past starting to open up a little bit for an extra roster spot on the Lakers?
2: I have a short list of guys I think could make some sense. And some of them have been released already. Others are rumoring to get bought out. Some of them, I think you might need a trade for, or at least those teams will look at trades first. And then if nothing materializes, then maybe they they'll buy somebody out on Nick Jaley's pod. Which which dropped in the feed. I hope you guys enjoyed that. We talked about Whiteside and just about how he's not really a, a good alignment with what they're trying to do. His skill set doesn't match their defensive what schemes. What the Kings are
0: trying to do. What the Kings. The, the Kings. The Kings. Yeah.
2: Right. 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 Um, his what he brings defensively has been good this year. He's been a high impact, not to his normal elite defensive impact levels in a regular season setting, but still pretty good. But he hasn't found the minutes there, and part of it, I think, is. You know, he's not a long-term piece and then also for them there's a a misalignment between his skill set and what they want to do in ball screen coverages. So he might be someone that if i'm assuming like if i'm trying to figure out what the kings might do, i'm assuming they're going to see if they can get anything for him and if not maybe they'll take a lakers second round pick and if not they'll they'll cut him and then the lakers can look to buy him out. That's somebody i'd be willing to take on. He's a legit lob threat, he's a legit shot blocker, he is a legit finisher. He's someone that you wouldn't have posting up. Right now he's posting up in Sacramento. We don't need to po- need him to post up. That's a Dwight Howard kind of similar sort of su- uh, situation where you just change that offensive usage a bit and he'll be more efficient. That, I think, is good. Like, for a third center, that is a good backup option to have. I would prefer him over a lot of other names I hear rumored in terms of, like, if Gasol does get injured or Trez gets injured, he's somebody that, like, can at least be good at the things he's good at and, and be like very good within those specific skill sets. That's not like uh, he's kind of washed. I don't know what he does. We'll see if he fits in. So at least you know kind of what you're getting with him. And with the Lakers' culture of accountability and the defensive minds in there, I think they'll be able to leverage his skill set in a good way. And it's good to be able to have a shot blocking, drop coverage, lob threat, finisher big, which we just do not have in a center right now, all of those different things. So... He's someone I'm keeping an eye on boogie is someone that I think can make more sense with the Lakers than he did with Houston he in Houston they're switching a lot and they're dropping a lot in ball screen coverage which isn't really his game I think in a catch hedge scheme he like his defensive limitations would be a little bit masked um and then offensively like he's been a decent three-point shooter just on like crazy hard difficulty only Blake Griffin has had harder threes. Among guys who have shot that same like slightly below average three point shot making range. So in L.A., if you can get him really good three point looks, he can space the floor and he can knock those down. And if you bring him in, maybe he kind of duplicates what Gasol brings in terms of space the floor, play make a little bit, be a trigger man in sets and then from first unit to second unit or first unit to third unit. I don't know what it looks like. You can run similar actions and that might result in the Lakers inst- installing more big man playmaking type of offense on a team that doesn't have a lot of playmakers or a lot of uh, ball handlers. But what about then, his rim protection, though? His rim protection is not good. His rim protection is bad uh, <laughs> in terms of deterring shots. Not good. Basically, in terms of, the
0: reason we would want to give him is bad.
2: Yeah, he, he defensive rebounds really well. I love Boogie. He's, I'm just saying. Yeah, no, you got to know what he can and can't do. And he can't do that. He's not going to be a good finisher. His finishing has been really bad this year. His shot blocking has been really bad and hasn't been good in the past. He's going to pull in a bunch of boards. His defensive rebounding success rate is really high. And, and we we have a defensive rebounding success rate plus minus metric at B-Ball Index on our player profiles, which have launched. Um, mm-hmm. Updating daily. Go check him out. He's first in the league or at least he was yesterday. I don't know what it is today because, again, they update daily. But he was first in the league at that. So he's been pulling boards like nobody's business and I think can fit in a catch-hedge scheme and fits somewhat offensively. And just you, he's not going to be a shot blocker. And if you don't run him in drop coverage, that mitigates some of that. But as like a help shot blocker, he's still not going to be that guy. So he has his strengths. He has his weaknesses. We can make more of him than Houston has defensively, but he's you, you still have that. to just you have to understand what he is and isn't. And for a third big, either him or side or third third center, like that's you can do so much worse. There are not third like those guys are way better than the third center on any team. <sighs> I, I can't name a, a like a, a backup backup center that's better than both of those guys. It's because they don't exist they yeah. don't have backup, backup centers. <laughs> they just well, and like- another thing, maybe we see Trez play power forward and fit with Boogie because Boogie can space the floor. That's another yeah. thing that might happen. We haven't seen the Lakers do any Gasol-Trez this year right. in an infuriating way. Like, I don't know if it would work out great, but it should. Like, it makes some sense. It can work. They just have not done any of it. They have not tried it. They have not experimented with it. This could be kind of like that, but just with another dude. So it could fit rotationally in that sense, especially if you're not – believing in marquee and what he's doing and you don't want lebron taking up a bunch of power forward minutes so i think that's what you're looking at with the bigs and then i think ariza we don't know his situation i'm sure they'll try to trade him but he's someone that is another three and d wing stopper kind of dude that i would be happy to have offensively he'll he's a stationary shooter that has a little bit of ball mover skill that can just catch and make threes so i'm good with that and then Wayne Ellington is another guy that, like, if he's available, he's a really good three-point shooter. His defense is not good. But it's good to have, like, a legit three-point shooter that you can trust in yes. your deep bench as well. So yeah. that's another, like, situational. Don't want to have to rely on him. And with any of these guys, you're, you're not, like, <laughs> we're not seeing, like, I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good example. Like, De'Aaron Fox isn't getting bought out. Like, these aren't good players for the most part. Or they're players that are getting bought out for a reason. You have to understand and and set expectations accordingly and find the right ways to say who fits with what we need or how we can use them in a way that would be valuable.
0: I mean, in the same way, though, we got Keith last year and he's, you know, struggled this year, but he was uh, valuable in the ways that they expected him to be and, you know, being that star in that role and yeah to your point if if trez and keith can share the floor and they're not really switching they're still playing pretty much catch-edge defense like yeah might as well throw mark and trez out there as well but that will be keeping an eye on uh potential moves um as as guys get more guys get released as more details come out so uh for now i think that's a good place to wrap it up tim um we should try and uh, maybe stream for a game this week if we're free. I don't know. I don't know if I have the spirit to stream for Utah. We'll <laughs> see. Uh, it's It's been tough wanting to stream for these games lately, to be honest with you, man.
2: Yeah, it's been a and, and, like, I mean, I see that as an opportunity for us to – I mean, it's not going to be the most fun in the world against a Utah team, but <laughs> maybe against Portland. I, I don't know. We'll have to see what our schedules look like. But if we can find ways to analyze the game – and, and add some value to the folks I, I can i can get up to do a game this week maybe we'll, we'll see what it looks like sounds um, good yeah
0: go follow us on twitch.tv slash liquors exceptionalism pod and uh hit the little bell and you'll get notified when we go live so uh until then we'll talk to you guys next time
1: this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding